Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creanitators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today I'm excited to be talking to creator uh, Juni Ba about the new graphic novel Jalia from TKO Studios. It's going to be coming out summer 2021. It's a really exciting, interesting work. Uh, it is based uh, thoroughly on some of the epics of West African folklore, uh, but it is very much its own thing. Um, kind of a fantasy folklore. Uh, it's being marketed, I would say, sort of YA, but I think it's got a pretty all-ages range of audiences that can check it out. And Junie, I'm excited to talk to you about this work today. How did Jalia begin? Uh, what was kind of the genesis of this project and what got you started? Um, let's see. I think it was 2012, 2013. It was 2013. Uh, I went back to, to Dakar, Senegal, where I was born. And I had just finished my first year in art school in France. And it's, it's that time when you start wondering, what am I going to do? Uh, what, what do I, what do I want to create once I'm out? Especially because the teachers are very, um, very, uh, insistent about how difficult it is to, to break out and everything. Sure. And, and weirdly enough, uh, something that, that kept coming up was the whole, you're from Africa. You should be using your your culture and aesthetics and all that stuff. And I said, no, I don't. At the at the, the top of the street, there's a there's a shop of old um, statues and other pieces of Afri African art. And so, because I was visiting, like I usually do, out of nostalgia, I just walked into it, uh, talked to the shop owner, looked around, and then realized I've been reading especially manga based on, on Japanese folklore my whole life. And I, I love the stuff, not just because it's based on cultures that I don't know, but mostly because it's really fun. And I figured why not make something of that same vein, but using my own stuff because that's what I know. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's aesthetics and cultures and questions that I've cared about, I guess. And and so it was it was pretty ironic. I I had a run in with a, a classmate a, a year or two ago, and I told her what I was working on, and she told me that's kind of funny because like when I knew you, you didn't want to touch it at all. Uh, yeah, it's because in the meantime, I found the way I wanted to to do it, a, a way that I feel is respectful, and not just using it because it's supposedly popular or, or exotic or whatever. Sure, sure. That's interesting. Yeah, because there, so there's. There's a hook to this, I think, that, you know, you're incorporating West African folklore and definitely for a lot of American readers, you know, such as myself or just Western readers, right? That like it is there's a kind of, yeah, like that exoticism that's sort of like, oh, this is unfamiliar and therefore it's interesting. What is what is the key to you in terms of presenting those stories? But then also like this this graphic novel includes like a lot of education, frankly, mm -hmm. like a lot of learning about like like teaching people like this is how you pronounce some of these words. And this is sort of the tradition of, of, you know, like of this history, like what was, what was the key to you in terms of doing it in a way that you felt was the right way to. Um, the thing to understand is that I did not start off wanting to educate. Uh, I just wanted to make a cool story with like robots and talking animals and, and a, a very, uh, I, I described it to someone else as saying I, I just wanted to make something in the same vein as the Cartoon Network shows that I watched when I was a kid. 
and, and so it, it really started off with that, just that. I just wanted to make something fun. And but doing all that research, comparing what I, what I was doing with what I saw, um, it became very evident that um, there was a complete lack of knowledge about those things outside of, of the, the, the West African part of the continent. And something that I always loved when I was a kid reading manga was the fan community around it. When you read scans on, on, on the web, they're made by people who very often have learned Japanese and they have this like very fanboyish kind of vibe of like wanting to explain everything. So you, you read you read the scan of a manga and you have notes everywhere of what different fa- phrases means and all that stuff. And I learned a lot mm. about Japan this way. So of course I'm not mm. an expert on Japan at all, but but it, it does sort of make you curious about the real place and the real people behind the, the, the fiction you're reading. And I wanted yeah. a similar vibe of this is a place that people outside don't necessarily know. I want them to get to know it, to, to have a sense of the real people that exist behind the, the fiction and the, the talking animals and all that stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So there is there is this interesting blood blend in Jalea of, you know, you have so you have kind of three main characters on a quest. And then throughout this, we sort of split it up. There are, there are a number of breaks, but there's sort of folklore blended in you know within the universe of the the fictions or the not the fictions but the the stories that they tell each other and there's also like you mentioned like these anthropomorphic animals and kind of a hybrid blend of like modern technology but then but then you know not always like it's kind of this nameless faceless location um as you were deciding like how to depict this world essentially you know including things like a giant warthog (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as you know the main antagonist like where did that inspiration come from and uh and how did you start? um i started making the aesthetics and the rules before i made even the story of this book because i mm-hmm. sort of apply the same principle to a lot of stuff that i've done um it started off with short stories when i was in my last year of art school and then before I even made those short stories, the, the basic of the thing was what kind of world do I want to create? And I basically just made a mix of whatever influences I had, and I tried to use what I call fairy tale logic of it's there, it works in the story, don't care if it's logical or not. Uh, there's always, the example I often use is the, the folk tale of a king who trapped his daughter in a, in a house without door or windows, and a hare still dug a hole to, to go and impregnate that woman, and she actually had a child. Mm-hmm. And the story is completely a, an oral story at the, at the base concept of it, which means that you can get away with a lot of stuff. And, and I love that logic yeah. of just a rabbit just decided that he wanted to have a child with this human woman, and he actually did it. <laughs> and and <laughs> so to to try and apply it to a visual medium, the the best example I have is always Samurai Jack because it necessarily did it, it didn't it didn't really care about whether things made sense as long as the, as long as it worked for the story and you got the message that it was trying to give you, and as long as it looks cool. Because yeah. there is a really big rule of cool in Samurai Jack. It was kind of the same logic for me of I want to have talking animals because they are in the folk tales of West Africa that I grew up with. 
I want to have a, a, a boat that floats in the air because those are the boats that I actually used to go to an island where my family and I went to the beach every every weekend. And, and it was just mixing all this stuff and trying to make a world, not necessarily a logical one, but one where it feels cohesive enough and 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 it works for the story and the themes you want to have in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely does too. And I, I think that's, there's a, there's sort of a surreal vibe to this. Like you said, sort of fairy tale rules that as you, as I began reading it, it's kind of like, okay, you just, you can make a decision as a reader. You can either <laughs> accept and yeah. just go with the flow and just take it, or you can just constantly be on edge and, and just totally, and you're probably not going to make it through it if you, if you react that way, but definitely going with the flow. I think is the better solution. Um, as far as the visuals, I, I really love the way you depict, you know, sort of the the fairy tale rules of this. Again, just like the size of, uh, you know, the warthog antagonist, right? Um, that like just like the the way that these sort of creatures blend with, you know, real people trying to navigate this world. What you mentioned the Cartoon Network influence, which definitely I can see what are what are your other sort of main influences as a cartoonist that you that you draw from or that sort of inspired you? In say thirty pages, Hellboy and Hellboy is a really good example of that because a lot of his stories are fairly short and those are my favorite ones. I tend to prefer the Hellboy stories where he just goes in a place, fights a thing, and it's and it's done. Exactly. The the I, I like how it is simple and very effective. Uh, then you have Dragon Ball, which I was reading at the time when doing the, the second half of the book. I was doing a sort of like rereading of Dragon Ball for the first time since I was a kid. Uh, and yet, the, the I think a lot a lot of like a lot of it is due to reading a lot of manga when I was a kid and watching a lot of Cartoon Network and and anime, and so. I got really hooked on the episodic aspect of things. And I find that, I mean, not so much now, because a lot of American comics are doing, uh, what's it called, anthologies and stuff like that. That's be, that's becoming more and more of a thing. Yeah, so the, the, the episodic aspect of it, I guess, is, is how I would summarize it. Uh, and I wanted to go against the, the, the wave now that is very focused on trying to be serialized. Uh, so I, I I like how you can convey a lot of things in a very short amount of time, and and in a way that is actually quite punchy, I guess, because you have so much, uh, so little space, you have to to sort of go straight to the to the essentials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting. It makes a lot of sense. When when you were pitching Jalia to TKO Studios. Um, what kind of, what kind of process was that like for you and kind of, how did you, how did you sell them on, you know, on this idea for this graphic novel that you had? Oh, um, okay. the, the, the pitch was, uh, a PDF of just explaining the plot and the inspirations for it yeah. and, and a few designs and pages. And most of most of it was just telling the story of what was going to happen beat by beat, um, and 
I guess what, sh what, what was shining through the most was how personal it was for me. Because that's, that's really something that they kept um, pointing out when we were in the, in the initial talk phase was that they really felt like this was a very important book for me and they wanted to do it justice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think what, what was shining through the most was that aspect that like I was, I was showing up with something that I really spent a lot of time trying to work into, into something that could speak to a lot of people. Sure. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. What What was the hardest part for you of completing this work? I mean, it's it's 170 or maybe 150 pages, you know, including the the backups that sort of explain some information. Um, it's it's very it's visually fantastic. I, I love I love the storytelling on display here. Um, it's it's a really enjoyable world. Uh, what what for you was like the trickiest part of making it all click together? Oh boy. Uh, the writing, <laughs> yeah. The, the the designs come fairly easily because I I just sort of do whatever feels right. Whereas writing, you come up with with loads and loads of different ideas, but um, it's very easy to get sort of lost into all the ideas you have and make a complete mess. Um, so I often wrote and rewrote, and I, this is a book that I made while I was learning to write. Mm -hmm. So I was learning, a, a lot of the resources that I found were very cinema based. Um, so it was also kind of a trick of like, what what can be applied to comics and what else can be done. So I would just spend my time reading other books, trying to figure out why is this story working? Why is this story not working? Reworking my own chapters, again and again and again, uh, watching, say, a bad movie. And uh, especially for the last chapter, like I, I rewrote it a bunch of times because I really wanted it to be satisfying but not preachy or too obvious. Mm. And um, I, I remember watching movies, especially movies of questionable quality, let's say, because I, I like seeing a poor decision in someone else's work and realizing that I have made the same poor decision in my own. It's, it, it, it's kind of weird how we can make it jump to your face, how you've made a mistake somewhere because, because you see it done in someone else's work and you're like, yeah, that doesn't actually work very well. That's interesting. Do you, do you remember any examples of, if not the, the work that brought that, but like just the type of thing you were doing that you, you realized you were doing after watching something else? Uh, character motivations mm. on, um, on on antagonist especially and and how to try and make characters a bit more interesting uh, the 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 movie what's it called again Snow White and the Huntsman I think it was mm. uh, I was I was really not satisfied with the way they wrote the motivation of the the main villain as a, a essentially the scorned woman uh, archetype which I found to be very lacking and, and limited. Yeah. And I thought I, I thought you could probably do something a bit more interesting with that. And then I looked into my own work and I was like, wait, you're actually kind of doing the same thing with one of your characters. And, it, and I, I rewrote an entire part of the book because of that, because I thought, mm. I mean, the lesson I got from it really was how easy it can be to just reproduce tropes that you've seen before. And you don't even realize it, that 
they are that they need work or that they were not the best depiction of of uh, of a character that you could possibly have. So yeah, a lot a lot of the the hardest part was reworking my stuff, paying attention to my biases, and trying to avoid things that I would consider to be not the best that that the book could do. I guess that's interesting. Yeah, no, that's that's really that's an interesting process in terms of like your ability to uh, that level of self-awareness, I think in terms of being your own editor. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's definitely a skill set. I think that a lot of creators are looking to, uh, to develop as they go. Now I do have to ask you about, so there's, I think for, you know, for the most part, the book is this blend of journey and sort of flashback and story kind of all building to, you know, getting to the tallest peak of the tallest tower kind of fantasy, right? But then smack in yeah. the middle, there's this black and white interlude. <laughs> and this is definitely a big left turn for the book because it, it goes yes. into, you know, a, a folklore kind of story of this village where everyone is like, literally identified by their archetype right like kind of you know this yes. is the this is the happy couple in the village and this these are the newcomers and that sort of thing this is the interlude is strange i gotta tell you <laughs> like it's a it's a <laughs> curveball um what uh what yeah. what sort of inspired it and what was the thinking behind its inclusion in the work um there were two reasons um mostly i was making this book about Essentially, royal uh, members of a royal family trying to reconstruct the glory days of, of when they were still ruling the land. And one of the main um, themes that I wanted to develop in it is how, in the end, all the focus that we put on, on royal families and all the, 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 this desire we have to cling to a sort of like glorious past is not necessarily the best way to move forward yeah. and that the existence of the common folks is actually way more interesting and, and I think way more worthy of attention than the, the the royals that we like to put on sort of a pedestal. And this is a very, very like consequence of, of colonialism. You want to, to put forth the best you have in your history. So naturally you will talk about the kings and queens that, that, history has tried to erase but in in doing that you sort of forget uh, about the common folk as well so um that was one of the main reason the other main reason is that i grew up in that environment <laughs> everything everything in that chapter is based on stuff that i actually saw or that happened to someone that i know yeah and and it, it is just me trying to sort of make a chapter that pokes fun and criticizes some of the the the, the lack of foresight, the the bit of of um, blindness that that some people can have, the prejudices that they can have, but also trying to to make fun of it, but in a way that is kind of understanding of the fact that these are people who are trying to make sense of the world around them and trying to live the best life that they can. So. Essentially, I wanted in this book that was supposed to talk about how the world goes way beyond just the, the central figures of whoever is ruling. Uh, I almost didn't have a chapter that was just let's show what it's like for the actual common folk of this world. Yeah. Let, let's so uh, let's show what kind of life they lead and what happens when you have a an, a strange event that that occurs and how they react. Uh, and 
the reason why it's in black and white and structured the way it was is because of my favorite episode of the, the Twilight Zone, where uh, mm. I, I think it's called the, the Monsters on Blaker Street or something like that, where just uh, an alien ship shows up and people start wondering who is responsible for it. Is one of our neighbors actually a spy? That kind of thing, and it goes really dark really quickly. And yeah, I thought, yeah, that that's a pretty good way to represent that thing because it is a very universal problem. The whole the prejudices that you have about your neighbors and and all the things that you take for granted as true, even though it's literally just superstition or stuff that you've been absorbing through your society. And I, don't know, I, I figured it is a good testament to how universal the situation is because. I'm making this set in, in a sort of West African fantasy world. The story that inspired it was an American story set in an American town. And the principle is the same. Sure. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I think there's definitely a relatability about the way this town turns on each other. Right. And and all of what you're describing, I think, is definitely something that it, throughout eras we see time and time again of, yeah, of that desire to you know, th things were better before this other thing and we have to go back and all of that. I, I think there's, it's also, yeah. it does thematically resonate with what is happening in, you know, in the journey of the, you know, of our, our main protagonist, which is, you know, kind of thematically, like this is about fixing the world after our forefathers broke it, you know, right? Like it's, it's a yeah. post, the world is broken. We have to, we have to fix it. We have to live up to the promise of past generations. Uh, it feels very relatable, I think, in any time period, what was it about this theme specifically that sort of grabbed you? Um, I think you spoke to it, you know, a, a bit there in the interlude, but just in terms of like, you know, it, in terms of kind of finding out that, okay, past generations aren't as perfect as we like to pretend. Like that's kind of one thing that the, um, uh, yeah. Awe kind of learns here is like, you know, that she, she has this understanding that the, uh, basically like the past traditions are like, they're idealized. They're kind of like, they're held up as this sort of perfection, perfect thing. And kind of without spoiling it, by the time we get to the end, we realize there's, there's some untruth to that or some half truth to that. Um, yeah. What was it about that theme that, that you really wanted to like, you know, bring home? Um, I think it's because of how I was, I was raised. Um, I, I, I come from a family where my grandfather was a, a, uh, what's the word again in English? <laughs> um, he was a militant, let's say. Uh, he he manifested with all his generation for his country to be independent. Um, he was a very knowledgeable person who had a very bad temper, um, but he was a lovely, lovely man. And I, I think it, it, it's, it's to get this idea, you would have to imagine me being a child in the living room of my grandparents, listening to all the adults having debates about history and politics and culture, mm. while I was watching Cartoon Network. This is this, <laughs> like the, the yeah. book was made during those moments, uh, and and something that I came to understand over time was, you go to school, and I went to the French uh, system of schooling, so. When you go to, to, essentially, when you live in a country that was colonized and you go to school in the system made by the colonizer, they tell you one version of history and then you go home, you talk about it to your father, who's, a, who's, a, who's an African, and he tells you, well, they actually, 
that's where it was interesting for me. They didn't lie completely. They just omitted stuff. Yeah. And that's why the notion of half-truth is very important to me, and I think that's why it's in this book, is that the history you're given is always not necessarily fully lying to you, but they're, they're willfully avoiding certain pieces. Yeah. And where it got fun was... A lot of what the main characters of the book go through is about members of their own family and the legacy that they left and realizing that the, the people they've been idolizing were not necessarily all that clean. And it was kind of the same thing for me, not to that level, because like in the, in the book they, they, they learn about really, really gruesome things. But like in my family, you always get the, the you grow up with this vision of the parents and grandparents as sort of perfect and over time you learn that they've made a mistake here or there that they weren't necessarily super nice all the time and i extrapolated from that and figured it would be interesting to have a story about what it's like to have to live up to a legacy and as you go along you start to learn that the legacy you've been given isn't all that clean and you have to to live with the consequences of the actions of the people before you. And what do you do with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really well said and really interesting. I think that's going to be a relatable thing for a lot of folks. Um, I mean, it's definitely something that I think the past, you know, two years, essentially, for, you know, here in yeah. America, for sure, is like, there's a lot of folks, myself included, who have realized how much has been omitted from the histories yeah. that we've been told in our lives um, from, from a position of privilege where we didn't, we, maybe we didn't know, you know, but it's like, it's, you kind of make that, make that realization. And then it's like, Oh, I, yeah, it wasn't a, wasn't an outright lie per se, but <laughs> it's a big <laughs> omission of some truths that are very, very yeah. relevant. Um, and I, I think to your earlier point too, like those, those conversations and those themes in this work in Jalea, it's, it is relatively subtle. I, I think you, do, you know, you kind of mentioned not wanting to be too heavy-handed. I, I think you're successful in that. Um, about it, the, that information is here, but I think in, in listening to you talk about it, it's definitely coloring in some of the texture for me that um, that was kind of you know kind of beneath the surface of the story. Because because like you said right at the outset too, like it's a really fun adventure. <laughs> like, like it's a really, you know, I don't want to over, you know, it's fun to talk about the themes and it's, or it's, it's, it's very compelling. I think to really talk about what the, what the work is doing. Um, but at the same time, like it is an action packed, very thrilling adventure. That is, that is again, just like, I love the cartooning in this, like just visually, visually stunning. Um, so, so well done on that front. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. My one kind of last question here, I saw on your Twitter, that Disney's Atlantis was a major inspiration for this work, <laughs> and I saw you say you're gonna you're gonna work this into an interview. So I wanted to I wanted to give you the chance. What uh what did Disney's Atlantis bring to bring to Jellia? Um, the adventure trope, the, the the adventure feel of it. Um, and and to the more direct uh, example, um, the the main character Mansoor uses a mask to fight. Uh, it's based on a, a scene in the Atlantis where um, they meet the Atlanteans for the first time and the Atlanteans have these big masks with like blue light glowing out of the mouth and eyes. And I remember I, I was really struck by it when I was a kid. I thought that was a really cool image. Yeah. And I, I just decided to re rework it into my designs when I started making the world. Um, 
and and even on on a more global level it's it was my first introduction to the visual style of Mac Mignola, even though I didn't know who he was at the time. Mm. Uh, it was my introduction to sort of reimagining of all these adventure movies of the 1930s in America and, and, and all those movies like, um, well, not 1930s, that, that's closer, maybe 70s. Um, the, the movies like the Mad Men time traveling machine I, I only know the name in french my god um <laughs> <laughs> but like essentially adventure movies that were really simple and uh, or, or twenty thousand links under the sea movies of that vibe you yeah know? movies that i had not seen when i was a child so that was my first exposure to that kind of vibe and mm. it, it's one of those works where the people who made it wanted to mix so many things in it that it kind of lost track of what it wanted to do at some point. So the movie definitely has some some limitations, but it was made with such a level of passion and wanting to push the boundaries that I think I, I sort of got influenced by it in a way where you want to keep the same flame and infuse it into something else and sort of try and not make the same mistakes as the, 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 the movie you like so much. You like try and go beyond what they actually achieve. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Very cool. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right, cool. So, so Jalia is going to be out uh, for, for, I think pre-orders are going to go out June 1st, 2021. Uh, people can find that from TKO studios. Again, I will definitely be including links in the show notes and be recommending the work. Uh, Junie, what is, what's next for you? Once, uh, once this graphic novel is out there, what are you, what are you kind of looking at next? Uh, the same month in July, when the, the book fully comes out, I have uh, an issue, issue six of Truth and Justice for DC. That's my my first DC DC work. Cool. I got to draw Robin, so I'm, I'm actually really happy about that one. Um, and I have an issue in an anthology for image, but it hasn't been announced yet. So I can't give any details. And then my own, my own story is written by me. I'm still working on those and trying to get them in the publisher that I I hope for. So more when I have information, I guess. Cool. Cool. Yeah, no, we'll definitely look for that issue of truth and justice. Um, But yeah, in the meantime, people should absolutely check out Jalia. It's a really great release again from TKO and, uh, and Juni Ba here. So, Junie, thanks so much for your time. Uh, this was this Thank was a you. lot of fun, and again, like I really enjoyed this work. I'm definitely going to be recommending it to people. Um, it is a very, very good uh, graphic novel.